Listeners, welcome back to the Business of Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline London. I am very excited about today's interview. It was truly a labor of love because this one we tried, I think it was three times to get it fully recorded and we had a technical difficulty at every turn. My guest today is Heather Sachs. She is fantastic. She works in science and regulatory affairs for Blue Apron and has a long history of working in science and regulatory affairs for a variety of corporations you may have heard of, for example, Coca-Cola and Kind. Heather brings so much knowledge and expertise in this area, the whole topic of regulation of what it means to have a health claim on a product packaging, uh, and takes us through the entire kind of process behind the supply chain, behind the scenes of someone who is working in regulatory affairs, who's working on a legal team. It was fascinating. I honestly learned so much from this episode. I know you're going to as well. So I can't wait for you to hear it and for you to let me know what you think by leaving, of course, a five-star rating and a review. You all know how to do that. You know the drill by now. Okay. So without further ado, let's get to Heather Sachs. Again, folks, you can always find the Business of Wellness on Instagram. Uh, we are moving to Patreon. That is coming up soon. Exactly when? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure that out a little bit better. Anyone have any suggestions, ideas, please feel free to leave that in the reviews as well. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, everywhere at Jacqueline London RD. On TikTok, it's at Jacqueline London. And let's get to Heather. Can't wait to hear what you think. I'm finding my own. No, <laughs> it's all day. All day for me, by the way, is me getting up from this exact spot to go back and forth to the thermostat because it's either too cold in here and my nose is running or it's so hot. And I'm like, why is it like, why, I know. why I am I wearing a sweater? I have my little space heater here. I brought it out. You know, I put it away, but then I brought it back out. Right. The second you put it away is when you're going to need it. That's my philosophy on it, I think. All right. Okay. Heather, before we even go into more on you, can you tell us about your um, almond mom questioning experience? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't perceive myself as an, as an almond mom at all. Um, I know you aren't. I just want to interject and say that we, we've only recently met and I already know that you're not. But I love the, I think the fact that you even asked the question is just all the evidence you need to know that you aren't. But let's hear this one. I'd love to hear this one. It's an interesting conversation. I, you know, I think that I grew up in a very healthy, balanced household. I grew up, you know, my comfort food was cottage cheese, banana, you know, and, and yogurt and with wheat germ on top. But we also had Malamars in the freezer. Like, yes, you know, so, oh my God, Malamars. Balance. It wasn't there wasn't a good food, bad food. And, you know, maybe fast forward so many years, maybe that's how I could be a Coca-Cola, a dietitian at Coca-Cola for 10 years. Um, but, you know, I, I was saying that my son asked me about why I don't eat cake that often. And I was like, am I an almond mom? And I'm not. I know I'm not. There's balance, you know, there's definitely balance in my home. But I think that there's a lot of conversation now around, you know, good food, bad food, and sometimes food, all the time food. And, kind of the more we talk about it, the more of an issue that we might be creating for these little minds. Yes. So I just, it, I've, my awareness has been peaked a bit. So I'm just conscious really? of it. I love that. First of all, I love that. I feel like that just deserves all of the props in the world because I mean, again, clues, how to know that you're an almond mom. You don't think you're an almond mom. <laughs> you never ask yourself the question, wait a second, what? You know, I feel like that's, it's just the self-awareness and the humor I feel like is what, is how we know. It's just how all our listeners are going to know. And it's how I know. <laughs> you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. I yeah. think it's important. I mean, look, the fact that my kid will eat all the cucumbers and tomatoes off of his plate before he even touches a burger. I'm like, no, wow. that's actually a good influence. I'm okay with that. Yes. Like, that's fine. Like life's short. Yes. Your veggies first. I don't know. I <laughs> think the expression is eat dessert first, but. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I. I want to, before we get into um, everything else that we have to chat about today, the thing that I want to ask you about that we were talking about a little bit before we started recording is about this kind of, this controversy. And and listeners of this podcast are no strangers to the issue because I, I spoke about it on an episode over the summer, maybe the fall, about the, the definition of quote unquote healthy as it relates to school food and what parents are allowed to pack in their kids' lunchboxes or packed lunch. And I feel like this is, first of all, that it goes beyond the tri-state, which I don't know that I fully 
understood. Like I, I feel like having just seen this video and listeners, I posted this on Instagram and TikTok about this woman who it's called Pringlegate is how it's being labeled, how it's trending on TikTok. But basically this woman who was shamed for bringing, um, for putting Pringles into her son's lunchbox, which is horrifying because also the way that it was handled, which is that this woman wrote not allowed or not healthy, like, or shamed the kid. Right. And you don't know that family story. You don't exactly. know. Exactly. What I if the kid doesn't eat? What if that kid was struggling? You know, the mom was struggling to get him to eat anything. We've all been there, right? We've all been there, right? Sometimes, whatever. You just have to throw nutrition to the wind and just let him eat whatever. Let him eat cake, whatever it is. Yeah. You don't know the story, and yeah, I think that wasn't. I think the, the they talked about it being passive aggressive. I felt like that was pretty aggressive. <laughs> it's you're so right. That's such a good point, and it really struck me too that that. The um in this video, the director or the head of school was like, it's passive aggressive. And I honestly, it really stood out to me. I was like, passive aggressive? In what world is that? That is just full on aggression. Like that is just fully just trying to get, trying to elicit a reaction. I think something that you said about the cost of food also really plays a role in this. But I, so I want to get your take on that. But I also think like my first reaction when I saw that it was potato chips specifically is that for me as someone with celiac, I... I rely on potato chips. I would, I would rely on potato chips if I were a kid at school. Like I would, that would be the thing that would be so helpful to me and for me to have with me. So the thought of this and how many different ways it can come up, I'd love for you to speak to that. Yeah. A little. First of all, it, let's even pretend that the word healthy, we can yes. get into that, but like, let's just say Pringles are unhealthy, which they're not. Right. This is a portion controlled right can. They didn't send them in with a jumbo bag from mm. Costco, right? They send in a bag. So th that's, I think that's a very controlled, I don't even like that word. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it in this case. It's yeah, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, I've always said like, if you buy those larger bags, break them down into smaller bags, just so you're conscious of like where you're at, you know, because you know, we've all consumed thousand percent. Too much, you know, we don't know. We don't know. I don't know what the cost of Pringles are these days, but like, you know, maybe you never know what somebody's other factors are, right? You know, the teacher's right. seeing them from morning to afternoon. Like, you don't know what happened before. You don't know where the meals are coming from. You, There's just so much you don't know. So, and we don't know the whole details of, of the story. I don't know if it was a public school or private school, but right. you know, But still, you you just, you don't know. You you know, that's a, a, a snippet of somebody's life. So it just, it's judgmental, frankly. Um, so percent. it's no big deal, you know, it's... <laughs> I mean, exactly. It's a great point. I mean, it really is like, does it really have to be that big of a deal, right? Like, I mean, all together. It shamed the kid because I'm sure he was embarrassed. It definitely attempted to shame yes. the mom. And honestly, the only one who should be ashamed is the school, I think. Yes. And and honestly, whoever wrote that on the can should yeah, kind of be ashamed of it. A thousand percent. The school, whoever the, the person was, I feel like I'm embarrassed for you because you, you now you're, now we're sitting right here talking about it today because thanks it's horrifying. Yeah. Sorry. I said, thanks for the content. You know, exactly. Like Thank you for the content. No, a thousand percent. All right. So now that, so now that we, now that we're on the topic of healthy, let's get into your background. Um, I'm so, first of all, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here. This is such a treat. I feel like I, uh, Heather, again, is another person that I've met recently that I'm like, I instantly feel like, why didn't I know you until now it feels yeah. like I was deprived until this moment. So tell us first of all about your background and how you got into regulatory affairs and what that actually means. Because I we have lots of practitioners listening to this podcast, but I I feel like not like I really did not fully understand your role until I went to go work for a company. So I feel like I feel like there's got to be a lot of that that's kind of missing. And and honestly, on this podcast, we talk all the time about how many things are missing from the curriculum or like things that we thought would have been present in the dietetics curriculum. So take it, you take it, take it away, Heather. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I definitely grew up in a very healthy, balanced household, um, but I never really knew of nutrition as a career. It wasn't totally. in the cards. And my love was in advertising. I wanted to work in advertising and, and be the creative person and come up with the campaign ideas. And um, I, I went to undergraduate school. I got a, um, a, a BA in marketing. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, when I graduated, I started to go to all these big advertising agencies in New York and said I wanted to do creative. They were all like, well, where's your portfolio? My, my what? I don't, you know, I wasn't a graphic arts person, but right. I just wanted to come up with the taglines. You know, I wanted to be Heather Locklear in Melrose Place and just, you know, that was <laughs> what I kind of wanted to be. And that wasn't what it was. And I wound up working at an advertising agency, it's a small digital media based um, ad- advertising agency. And it was a, seven people there. And I started working on a lot of pharmaceutical accounts Mm -hmm. and I started working on medications, a lot of diabetes medications. And then it kind of was like the perfect storm of things where I was working on some uh, developing content for a diabetes resource center for a big pharma um, client. And I was about three years out of college and wasn't at my healthiest self. And Mm -hmm. I started working with a registered dietitian, Carrie Glassman and and love Carrie and, you know, changed the course of my life, literally. And we started working together. I started to kind of be little stuck in where I was at the agency. And I remember thinking to myself, like I was stressing out over like a campaign going live the next day. And I was like, who cares? Yes. Ridiculous. I said, I want to help someone, not something. And I felt like if I could help someone like how Carrie had helped me, you know, then I could feel more fulfilled. And so rather quickly, I made the jump to go back to school um, to get my master's in in clinical nutrition and to become a registered dietitian. Um, I went back to NYU and went through that whole program. And when I finished that, um, started to do a little bit of private practice work while I was finishing up that last semester of my master's, mm-hmm. I was already ready. And, you know, definitely liked working in that clinical setting privately. Um, but it's, you know, a very hard, um, a hard place. And to, if I'm being completely honest, yeah. I wasn't totally balanced with my own head and my own nutrition at the, at that time. Totally. So, but I, and I also, I miss that marketing, that business piece. And yeah. I just, I needed to like combine them. And I came across mm-hmm. this opportunity to be the nutrition manager at a company called Glasso, which made vitamin water mm-hmm. and smart water and some other brands. And I was doing all of the nutrition education. We had a huge field team um, and educating them about the different vitamins and minerals and you know nutrients in the bottle. And then about seven months into that, Coca-Cola acquired Glasso. And first, nothing changed. And then everything changed. (laughs) It was, it was was a blessing. You know, there's, there's definitely pluses and minuses. I know that was one thing you wanted to talk about big company versus small company. But Mm -hmm. one of the positives was that I got pulled into the North America science and regulatory affairs team. And I really learned about nutrition labeling and claim substantiation, something that I did not learn about at all. Mm -hmm. It was not part of our curriculum. And That is one thing that, you know, you were asking, like, what shocks me? That's what kind of shocks me because much praise and respect for those that work in the clinical hospital setting, but it's a, it's a very difficult, um, life financially, emotionally, all of that. And corporate is a way that first of all, you have access to such intelligent people. I was Mm -hmm. working with PhDs in hydration, in micronutrients, in macronutrients, in, and I learned so much. I lecture, it's things that I didn't learn in school. And I I really had these subject matter experts to work with on the substantiation side. And then I worked with people at Coke that had previously been at FDA. And so Mm -hmm. I could literally be like, you know, reading the regulation, which I'm not a lawyer, which is written in legalese. When you guys wrote this in the eighties, what did you mean by this? You know, we could really have those conversations. And so it was through that process that I really learned the regulatory piece of it. And so I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I was at Coke for all year, all in about 10 years and got to work on, you know, certainly I wasn't working on red can Coke, but I was working on Honest and Adwala and um, Zico and, you know, vitamin water and the juice mm-hmm. brand. And, and I really got that, um, you know, that diverse experience with the portfolio. Um, and then uh, almost just shy of 10 years there, there were, had been and continue to be many changes in the, you know, corporate realigning, restructuring, rematrixing, reorganizing, like called it something different at <laughs> the time. Um, and so I was living in New York at the time and I had a, a, I guess a one and a half year old and my role was impacted in the New York office and I wasn't moving to Atlanta at the time. And, and it was right. frankly, it was time. Yeah. And so it took a couple months and I then came across an opportunity to be the director of regulatory affairs at Kind. And it was a really interesting time to come in there because they had just um, 
gotten through their initial warning letter from FDA on the word healthy. Mm. And so it was an interesting time to come in and put in place a claims review substantiation process because I don't know if you've seen kind packaging. There's 150 claims. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, how I love it, how yeah. I love it. And I feel like we owe a lot of that to you, Heather, but okay, you keep, you keep telling us, we'll get back to it. <laughs> well, I really took the formal strict structure that I learned at, at Coke, mm. you know, put that, the developing the scientific dossiers, you know, claim support, substantiation, validating each claim, you know, and so that I remember it was a, a previous uh, manager of mine that said, it's not if FDA comes, it's when, FDA, when. Yeah. right? to have your documentation ready to go. And so spent about four years at KIND, um, you know, putting that process in place, um, working on lots of really interesting innovation, um, renovations of existing products. Um, and, and, you know, outreach, there was, you know, a good amount. KIND works with a lot of dietitians mm -hmm. and it was just a great experience, great company to work for. Um, you know, similar to acquisition at of Glasso from Coke, Mars came in and acquired Kind, and there were some changes there as well. And, and my role was impacted there. And I really had the opportunity after that to take a minute, take a beat mm -hmm. and say, okay, now what? Because more or less, I had been doing a lot of the same work for at that point, mm -hmm. I guess it was like 14, 13, 14 years. Amazing. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. 10 years at Coke and, and four at Kind, 14 years. And I knew I had to stay true to my roots. Yeah. And I wanted to do something just like a little outside of it. Yeah. And I interviewed all over the place, big company, small company, more on the regulatory packaging side. And I came close. I was like, no, that's too far away. And mm -hmm. then I, I really went all over the place. And this opportunity came up at Blue Apron. And I loved it because it was the, the I don't want to say the same. It was the, the core, the you know nutrition and regulatory, but it was different. The product is so different. It changes week over week and it's just constantly fast moving and so many moving parts, lots of ingredient work, you know, not heavy on the claims, but it's different. I had, you know, it was exposed to this much more on the food safety side of things. And this summer will be about two years and it's been an incredible experience. I mean, I really um, I had big shoes to fill with who, you know, previously was in this role. And I get to work with um, colleagues that I met. I actually interviewed for a version of this Blue Apron job between Glasso and wow. between between Coke and Kind. And I will tell you, I was not qualified. I definitely should not have gotten the job at that time. But I met a colleague of mine um, that I still work with in a, a regulatory agency that we still work with at Blue Apron, who I met her through that early interview process I guess wow. now, what, six or seven years ago. So it's a very full circle. So that's how I kind of got into it. Um, I I wish that there was a more formal line of training because, you know, I work a lot with lawyers. Obviously, lawyers, mm -hmm. are and that's their job. And I love working with the lawyers. I really do because I so appreciate that just other angle, that other lens, yes. something from that I might not be thinking of at that moment. I, I love that. Um, but I wish there was a more clear defined, you know, learning track for yeah. dietitians in this space, because we have the opportunity to certainly make impact. You can apply the science. You know, this is what I love about this little nook that I've, I've found. It's a blessing and a curse if, you know, when looking totally. for a job, because it's very specific, um, which is coveted, but it's very hard to find. <sighs> Being able to take that, um, you know, the science says this, mm. right? Marketing wants to say this. Creative wants to execute it like this. The law says this. Right. Pulling those things together and finding that sweet spot yeah. that actually has an effective messaging that moves the customer that they mm -hmm. care about. I love when I can do that. And, you know, whenever I can, sometimes yeah. I'm invited, sometimes I'm not, like stick my nose into something. I love to be involved in that creative process. It goes back to my, you know, totally love to pull it all together like that. I, oh God, there's so much. First of all, I love everything about what you just said. I also want to come back to this. I want to come back to this in just a second because I want to go back further to something else that you mentioned and hear more about it, which is that you, you mentioned this and I feel a little bit like chills going up my spine when I hear it, which is it's not when FDA comes. It's, it, or if when, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to butcher it already. Reverse it. Exactly. It's not if the FDA comes, it's when they come. And mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about this because I think we're he we're seeing, and I, I mean, obviously for people like you and me who are interested in this topic, it's easier to spot when you're interested in something, right? Is when you see some of these um, 
marketing messages that are surrounding certain food products. And some of these products that are out there now are smaller companies and therefore may not be on the radar of the FDA right now. But should they be acquired or should they position themselves for IPO or any any other variation therein? There's definitely going to be that moment where the FDA is, it's the when, now is the when. <laughs> it's going to ring the doorbell. And so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you can first tell us a little bit more about what that means. Like, what does it mean when the FDA reviews um, the product packaging claims? What are they looking at? What are they looking for? Yeah. Just t- tell us about the experience. So I, I think that's the if it when is it I don't know if that's an actual I don't have like fact behind it. Right. That's like more of a philosophy. Totally. Totally. Prepared, right? Like, and it's a great one. Exactly. It's preparation. Going into the office, I'm packed up the night before. Be totally. You know? And totally. I, I think I've always been like that, but since being a mom, you have to be like that, right? You have to be prepared for everything. Um look, when you get a warning letter from FDA, it's never one issue. Right. Um, I was researching the other day a specific issue and I found a bunch of warning letters, but the issue that I was looking at was like at the end, right? It's yeah. here's our main issue, healthy, the way you used healthy kind. Here's X hundred other, I don't know what I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. other things, go change them, go change them now. And you have a defined period of time to change them. And when you have a traditional CPG with packaging, tangible packaging, that can be challenging, right? Yeah, it's so so it's 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 the it's the compounding effect of it, right? It's never just one thing. They're not writing you a letter for just one thing. Look, I think that I, I appreciate the opportunity to be to come in when I did at Kind. It would have been great to come in a little bit sooner to be involved in the original part mm-hmm. of it. But I I think that as with anything, like I love a good debate. Like challenge me. I want to hear a lot of yeah. regulations. I mean, they were written so long ago, right? right? The, I, and with healthy, so I think that's a good example. You know, things change, eating patterns change, obviously evolve, science changes. Mm-hmm. It's not that the science is different, science evolves, right? We all were part of the fat free, fat free craze of the 80s, yeah. you know, and that's kind of a lot of what healthy 1.0 was kind yeah. of based on. And officially or not, I, I don't know. Um, so I think that challenging the status quo is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had a second citizens petition where we're talking around um, protein claims and, you know, that's a whole other thing. You know, may, is it a claim if you declare nine grams of protein on the front? Mm-hmm. I think yes. Others think no. If you have, if you make a protein claim and then you have to have the percent daily value calculated on the back and then it gets into protein quality. That's the only nutrient that looks at digestibility, right? So you can have nine grams of soy protein and nine grams of protein from nuts and they're not going to have the same percent DV because obviously that soy is much more digestible. So I, I like the questions. I like, you know, challenging, not in an antagonistic type of way, but just challenging because we evolve. I think that um, another example I would say that we t- we worked on this at, at KIND in the petition, um, you know, there are disclaimers for when you make certain nutrient content claims and then other nutrients might exceed certain thresholds. So there's oh, one for sodium, for cholesterol, yeah. for um, total fat and uh, missing one. Um, Saturated fat? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So the nutrients of concern, right? So if you have a good source of protein and you're calling that out and yet your, you know, sodium exceeds a certain level, you need to say, see nutrition content for sodium content. Oh, interesting. Wow. I don't know that I realized that, but it definitely now that you're saying it, I can think of a few examples. Yeah. Okay. An immediate proximity to that claim. If you make a good or excellent source, you know, any kind of nutrient content claim and, and you exceed those thresholds. I think there should be one for added sugar. Now we have, you know, we, we, we talked about that at kind a lot, you know, why not? We have a daily value for added sugar. Why isn't that one? And it's, we know it's a nutrient of public health concern. Why isn't there one from that? So I think challenging the, what is and what was right. Just because something was doesn't mean it necessarily is moving forward. I think that's a healthy part um, of the conversation. So yeah, the letters back to the letters, they never come with one issue and then you have to change Mm -hmm. them under a time crunch and you know, there's a public aspect of it to deal with. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that is something that in my experience, I've worked for smaller companies that eventually became bigger companies, but especially the bigger companies in my experience mm. um, really respect 
respect the law and and the the process. And you know, it's look, it's hard. I guess I'm not a lawyer, but I'm I'm adjacent to them. Yeah. And you know, I, I I strive to always do. No, you can't do this, but you can do this. Yes. Like have to no, but else. Yes. No, but, you know. Yeah. If we can get through this, here's a solution for that. Because if you just keep saying no, you can't do that. Right. They're going to stop coming to you. A thousand percent. Oh my God. Yes. I, I honestly feel like I've learned that so fast, but it's like, you never want to be that person, but then you really, I don't know if you're anything like me, Heather, you also run the risk of becoming the yes to everything person. And then you're like, wait a second, I'm all of these things. This is very confusing. It's an existential crisis. No, I'm definitely not that. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I definitely have some uh, boomerangs of me going at my desk. Going, no. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. <laughs> thousand percent. You know, one thing about this that I would love your take on is that you brought something up here that really, that I never totally thought about in this context, which is that, and it's such a great point, is that using protein as the example, if you're going to have that as a nutrient content claim, or even if, even if it's not necessarily a nutrient content claim, then if it's on the front of the products packaging. Mm -hmm. And there's something else that might be a a nutrient of concern that's present in the product in greater amounts that you have to have some kind of shout out to that. Mm -hmm. It, the thing, the first thing that that makes me think of is we're already trying to get consumers just to know that nuts are a generally health promoting choice, period. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. You know what I, like, I mean, and it makes you think that sometimes like this is how things go, which is in an, an attempt to be, you know, fair or transparent or clear about what the actual facts are from a purely legal standpoint or a pr- purely regulatory standpoint. Do we wind up creating some consumer confusion that if, yeah. I feel like, look, there's definitely some smoke and mirrors that happens, right? Like focus on this. Right. But then this is, you know, if this isn't, a positive attribute of your of your product um or like when they're like uh gluten-free oats oh my god oh my god i know i mean i guess that's not the best example because sure they could have shared a silo and with you know with some wheat and and right but it's a great it's, it's actually a great point in that way right is that then then you then you know, there is something to be said for people like me who actually need to know if those oats are gluten-free. And then in that case, you're trained, like you, that's ingrained in you as to ingrained. I'm sorry to use that pun. I didn't even mean it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, look, there there are other, you just, this reminded me of another example The I referenced before working with someone who used to work at FDA. And I remember we were working on a deck for smart water, which is a zero calorie water with electrolytes. And she said, you can't call it a zero calorie water because it's inherently zero calories. You can't make a claim of it's yeah. Great water, point. Right. Yes. It's interesting. And so, but then, you know, being where smart water was right next to vitamin water. No, right. vitamin water is not a water. It's a water beverage. Right. So that's different. Right. So the, like those nuances and does the average customer know that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think, you know, I'm, we're obviously very close to it and analyzing things. And like, you know, when labels come on, I'm like, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, like, I don't think that the average customer knows those things, but then, you know, for those that are not super um, knowledgeable about this, we have this other area of the internet where there is hmm. this fear mongering that is going on over every, you know, you've seen it. They walk down the aisle. You've done a couple pieces oh on my it. God, right? yes. like just scaring out of people. And I think that's so the wrong approach also, you know, I, I, that, that doesn't, you don't educate through fear. I mean, thank you. You don't educate through fear. Is it, that's exactly it. I, that is exactly it. I just, I think so much of it has gotten so out of control. And it's such a great point, right? Is because to me, let's pretend that smart water did not sit next to vitamin water in the beverage aisle, right? Mm-hmm. Is that zero calorie water might look a little funny. I, I get that, right? But I also really, really get and understand and relate to 
what it's like to be inside of a company where everyone is like, no, no, we have to differentiate it from this other product that we have, right? Which is, which is not, it's true. It's not fair to consumers, right? Like it, it's not fair that consumers don't necessarily know that. So they're not thinking about it like that. And you as a company are maybe not doing the best job at serving customers by having that kind of controversy or debate or depending on where you work, that can become a greater debate or whatever else. But it's really interesting, right? Because it's like we only see three see things through the lens that we see them through. We can't really it's hard to change. I often use my son is eight, my stepkids are are twelve and fourteen and a half, and I use them as my little, you know, unofficial focus group and I'll ask them questions about things. Cause sometimes, you know, you're just too close to it. You can't you know, like my husband came home with um creamer the other day that was like not the no sugar added one and I was like did you even look at this this has like 16 grams (laughs) in like a teaspoon like you know if that's your source it's fine but it was just these labels yeah gotten very confusing the packaging not the labels are supposed to be very powered but it's confusing and and you know I'm guilty of it too how many times have you ever picked up the wrong one because there's a slight color difference Mm. in the you know the regular versus the light version or something and listen no shame in taking either one but people have their preferences and when they're when the packaging is inundated with labels it's kind of like lost I don't know can you clarify something for us because I I would be so remiss not to ask you in light of uh, I was going to say Watergate, but that's not it. Water, water talk, water talk. Okay. What is a water beverage? You mentioned that before. And I, I honestly don't feel like I know this at all. So tell us. Water with added ingredients. Added stuff. It's not okay. just, yeah, yeah. It's not just straight up water. Um, but it's different. It'd be different from, um, what is the word? What is that phrase that that's used when you're talking about? Juice that's not a hundred percent juice, like a, a juice, juice beverage. beverage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Got it. That makes yeah, sense. If you look at like um, we were talking before about the Honest Kids. Yeah. That's yes. Like, that might be a juice drink. I don't drink. know. There might be. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at that. Tell us. Tell us for a second because there's been so much talk about uh, certainly over the last few months, especially about the definition of healthy according to the FDA. Lots of, I mean, especially from your perspective, given your background and experience at Kind, how do you feel we shook out on this, at least for the proposed definition of healthy, and where would you like this to go? It's so interesting. It's it's so a long time coming. I mean, I feel like healthy has been ironically, not a part of my career as much in the beginning, but since yeah. joining Kind, as you mentioned, um, because when I joined Kind, that was just after um, everything had happened with FDA when they got the letter um, and they had to, you know, change some packaging. And what was the definition of healthy then, which was based on, you know, some outdated science. You know, the science is obviously constantly changing faster than regulations, perhaps. And um, kind pushed back and challenged what was the definition um, at the time, which was based on a low fat definition and some other positive nutrients and limiting the negative nutrients. And it was outdated because you could have fortified gummy bears, you know, with vitamin C and those were considered healthy because they were low fat, right. but almonds or salmon, or, you know, it, they were ex- um, excluded from the definition because of their fat. So during my time at Kind, we really operated under this interim definition um, where it looked more at the quality of the fat, you know, the, the majority of the fat coming from poly and monounsaturated fats, and then added some other nutrients to the positive nutrients. And obviously still the nutrients of, um, of public health concern were the limiting nutrients. Mm. And then we worked on, um, a letter, um, citizens petition and, you know, just putting forth what we thought, um, was a more balanced definition of healthy. Um, feel like for years it was like it's coming it's coming it's in the yes. final stages it's in the final stages um i mean i left kind and it still wasn't uh released yet and what Listeners, just for context i have to interrupt you for one second just for context in case we did not say this already <laughs> this began in 2015 yeah 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 i started kind of 2016 so it had just happened yeah oh so it took so long so when did it when did the definition the interim definition came out shortly after and then um you know industry commented and so then it was i guess 2022 was it december 2022 or maybe it was in january no no it got extended to february I, whatever i mean obviously fda has had some other things going on the past couple of years but um finally what was released I, 
I like how it focuses on the food groups. Yes. Um, I like that piece of it, but I think it is still very cumbersome and very um, heavy and confusing. And I know as in this role, having trouble understanding, well, what would this count and how would you, and I just can't imagine how the population is going to develop that, you know, accept that. Um, I think that because it's a voluntary claim, I think Mm -hmm. that um, manufacturers are not going to use it because it's going to be too complicated to evaluate their products or the product that might qualify is not going to taste very good. And, you know, so I I don't think that, I think we we had talked about this in our 1.0. I don't think that it really considers the, the, the taste is king. And if something doesn't taste good, you're not going to eat it. And sure, like straight up almonds healthy, but you know, a, a kind bar, which is the majority is, is almonds and has, you know, four or five grams of sugar that wouldn't qualify under right. this definition. So I think it is a little bit too restrictive. Um, we'll see what becomes the, you know, final yeah. accepted definition. But what really made me laugh about it is that in true FDA fashion, when this like proposed definition released, like when that happened in the fall, I remember being like, all right, I want to talk about this in some way, whether it's the podcast, whether it's on social media, like I want to do something to speak to this. Mm. I made a video and to make that video, I had to start for myself. I mean, for myself, this is just like, I right. listen, I would consider myself a more informed person as would you be <laughs> as a dietitian. You're more informed on this than most, right? Yeah. And still I printed out 45 pages of like dense text that what, and I was just lost in it. And and I found myself thinking like, I see where you're going with this. I really understand the intention behind it. But what strikes me is, do they, like the FDA rarely seems to treat industry as stakeholders when they're the ultimate stakeholders, you know, like they're, no one else is the stakeholder. It's not the consumer. Really? This definition they've created and nobody follows it. And or nobody, you know, utilizes it and then customers right. don't learn about it. It's like if the tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, right? <laughs> I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think um and also, I mean, I, I, I liked where it started, where it was talking yes. about the food groups, right? That right. teaches somebody something. Yeah. For me, at least when I did do private practice work and counseling, if you could understand the why yes. behind it. I think that it helps inform and it makes it easier point. to apply to the future because yeah. you know when you're working with someone, you're not always going to be working directly with them. And because it's such a cumbersome definition, yeah. it's not like I had a chart for healthy, you know, 1.0. It was pretty straightforward. I had a chart for the interim yeah. definition. I don't think there's enough paper. Like you can't the, it's, you know, like have formula analysis done on a recipe to figure out how many, you know, ounces of this and milligrams right. of that it, it's, I don't know. I hope that they come to something a little bit more mainstream that, you know, yeah. focuses on the food and the nutrient. That's, that's the, the, the important part. Um, and, you know, doesn't have, um, such limitation. You know, what else strikes me about this is that in the absence of having a solid definition for healthy, we've seen the rise of these other packaging claims like plant-based or um, what's my other favorite? Supports digestive wellness. You know how I love that one. (laughs) (laughs) Or like these other things that aren't actual health claims. So they don't have to be necessarily supported, right? But. Or, or yeah, like one that, I mean, everything, if, if they're doing it right, everything yeah. needs to be supported, right? That's plant-based, right? You're looking at the formula. The formula supports the claim. And, right. And the digestive health supports, I mean, that, that one actually has a lot that is needed. You know, it doesn't mean that every product follows those guidelines. Right. But I would say, like, I was brought up in a very strict learning yeah. household, you know, yeah. learning at, at Coke of how to substantiate a claim, um, and, and then carrying it forward in my career. I mean, it's not just, just because we say it doesn't mean it's true. You know, you have to be able yeah. to, if FDA is going to ask for your support to be able right. to validate, it took us years at kind and we never even, and at Coke too, never even moved forward with it, looking at probiotics. We wanted to yeah. incorporate probiotics and just to even say it contains probiotics. You have to have mm-hmm. obviously an efficacious level and it has to be a strain that you know is going to survive in the gut. I mean, there was so much work that went into it. So you definitely see smaller companies out there that yeah. can get away with it. Maybe they have you know, limited distribution, they're smaller, they don't have the spotlight on their back as they do. Um, 
Yeah. But they push it. They push it. Um, and then when they get bigger or eventually get acquired, I saw this happen many times over at Coke where it's like, okay, let's clean house here and get everything in order and substantiate all of these claims because yeah. you have a bigger target on your back. That's a good point. I think that's such a good point that people need to hear reiterated. You know what I mean? Like, which is that you can technically get away with it or you can play fast and loose with it where you're maybe not getting away with it, but no one has spotted you yet necessarily if you're a smaller company. Depends. Yeah, it depends. But you see the FDA sends out enforcement discretion, I'm yeah. sorry, the, uh, warning letters, sorry, warning letters all the time. Um, you know, it's a lot of smaller companies, a lot, there's been a lot obviously around like COVID and, you know, yeah. immunity claims and things like that. But look, it just takes a FDA regulator picking up a product in a store. It could happen. Right. I'm just saying when you are a Coca-Cola company, like you have a you much have a bigger, bigger target for sure. For sure. So what are some, I'd love to play this game with you. What are some things, packaging elements, packaging attributes that you're like, uh, you're playing a little close to the line. <laughs> like if you close see it on a product. Is not being accurate or close, like, I, th I look at a lot of things and I'm like, all right, thanks, Captain Obvious. Like, right. gluten, like gluten free, free yeah. water, you know, yes. something like that. Like, uh, right. you know, right. um, things like that. I think that's just making a claim for the sake of making a claim. Right. Um, and then I don't like when there's so many claims, know this, know that, know this, know that. And it's just like, uh, it. it's like so frustrating. Like it obviously moves the needle. I mean, yeah. if, if people respond to it, I just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know, it's just very cluttered packaging. Um, I, yeah. like, you know, I like branding and packaging, so it's not as clean. Um, you know, tell me what it is. Okay, tell me what it isn't. Also, right. sometimes that's relevant. Um, but just tastes good. Right. <laughs> I think that's like the most important thing. It's um, really the most important thing. Yeah. The other thing that bothers me, um, maybe not on a pack, on a, on a package, but claims um, just unsupported, fear-mongering type of um you know, statements. And I just, I, I no see balance and moderation yeah. and all foods fit. And when you start to restrict, then that's all you're focusing on. And that's not sustainable. And I, you know, anyone can get on the internet on, you know, whatever platform mm -hmm. and just present as an authority. And I just, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of garbage that's out there. Um, if you create a caloric deficit, you're going to yeah. lose weight, period, right? I mean, yeah. if you have a surplus, you are going to gain weight. That's just math. Totally. You know, Can I, I got to ask you about another one because I've been thinking about this. And I, I and during our 1.0, I realized after the fact that I hadn't asked you about this. And it's one I've been curious about for forever. Because I remember reading, it was like, maybe it was FDA guidance or it was actually American Diabetes Association, something that had to do with the term net carbs, which mm -hmm. is not necessarily a term, right? That you it's can use defined, it. It's not defined by FDA. It's understood right. to be total carbs minus fiber. Right. And so those are, the, those are the digestible carbs. Those are the, the calories from carbohydrates that you're counting. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's a term. There's also no low carb claim. Um, yes. Those right. types of nutrient content claims, low sugar, it's defined, low sodium, it's defined by yeah. regulation. Um, so I, I think there's an understood, there's no paleo definition per se, right. you know, it's, right. you're understood. And, and I guess there is some leeway in, in what um, people's own interpretation of it is. Um, but yeah, that's not, it's not defined yet. I, I can't really good point it. about paleo. The paleo is exactly what I was getting at when I said like plant, like that's exactly the type of thing where you are not meeting a specific definition. You might be meeting it for yourself, but there's not an evidence-based definition for why you would want to be doing this or meeting or eating in this style. So without it's, it's not necessarily, I, I just think that things like that, that we forget so often, no matter, I mean, across the profession, but also across the industry, it's like you forget that people are seeing things when something is trendy, they're trendy for a reason. And the effective frequency is what has the greatest effect on the consumer. So you might not see it on every product packaging 
let's say, gut health, right? Like that that might not be on every product packaging, but it is all over Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And it's at the supermarket in different ways. It's on a shelf talker in some way that the supermarket, the retailer is choosing to present it. And your family is talking about it and your friends are talking about it. And at work, you're seeing things that have like a little, you know, nudging you towards that. So it does, I think there's like the total cacophony effect that like makes people feel like, wait, I'm more confused than ever. about what actually is a nutritious food. Right. And if you see all the different forms of it that you just talked about, whether it be on pack, whether from a credentialed person that has, you know, experience in this area, or whether it just be from somebody who's presenting as they do on, you know, some platform, if you hear it multiple times, right, you start to accept it. You could start to accept it as truth. Just because somebody has a white lab coat on, doesn't mean they went to any kind of like medical school or scientific right. training or anything like that, you know. Buy it on Amazon. I a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I hate to beat this dead horse, but now you've really piqued my interest in it, so I have to. I have to. So, like for something that isn't a health claim, like net carbs, for example, if it's not a defined, like if the the FDA is saying this is not, we're not choosing to define this. Do we want essentially? Is that what they're saying to industry? Do we want like you can use it, but we're not defining it, so it doesn't have to meet our specific standard. So the standard is truthful and not misleading. Right. I mean, that's okay. that's first and foremost. Um, you have to represent what is and, and not be misleading. Um, and, you know, there's there's obviously risk with getting caught up with FDA, but there's also risk with like regular litigators, you know, people that yeah. you know, people class action. I was misled. You know, you right. see a lot of stuff around like oh flavor so labels, like the big area yeah. or like, you know, that you miss sometimes there's flavor labeling is very confusing. And yeah. Just because you label it in line with the regulation, it might not line up with the order of ingredients in an ingredient statement. And that yeah. might lead somebody to say, I didn't understand. I, you know, I thought there was going to be yeah. more of ingredient X because it was the first of the flavors that you listed on the front. Um, and other natural flavors. That's a big one. You know, um, I think that's how we started talking I, you know, over that. Yeah. Right? Was it? Yeah. I think so. Um, it just means that there are other flavors in there that might right. round out a flavor. Um, you know, something might be, um, I remember a product I worked on once, it was a great flavored vitamin water, but it had another flavor in it that, that helps to round out the, the overall, you know, final, yeah. because taste is king, right? That's the first yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, I think truthful and not misleading. That's, you know, you've got to pass yeah. the red face test and, you know, can, can you represent, I, I think about that every time I'm reviewing claims, can, yeah. how can I, if I needed to defend this, how would I defend this? Um, right. That's why I always say, you know, every marketing person should go through like a mock deposition as part of their onboarding. I you know, just totally to agree with that. To defend what they want to say. And that's where I, I kind of love where I have found this little nook between being able to work with the marketing and the science and the legal piece of it and the nutrition yeah. piece of it pulled together and see like, what can you actually say that matters? You know, a lot yes. of these things don't matter. Oh my God, Heather. Yes. A lot of them don't matter. I think that's the other, that's the other really powerful piece of it. Now I, I'm going to take us off this topic for a second, but I just want to say one last thing about neck carbs, because I feel like this is one that has been a little bit of a hobby horse for me. And in no small part, it's from working with people with diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Because if someone is relying on exogenous insulin and listeners, I'm sorry, this is getting so in the weeds, but like if someone is using insulin, Mm-hmm. And you're going to bolus, you're not bolusing based on net carbs, you're bolusing based on total carbs, because you know that some of those fibers are going to behave differently. And depending, yeah. right, like that those things will have a different way of behave, which is why I feel like the fascinating thing about our entire conversation and this entire point that you just made about truthful and not misleading is that to me, I'm thinking that's kind of misleading, you know, like that's, and I get it, like it's, it's truthful, but like, it may not, depends on what you're using for fiber. It depends on what you're using as the source of fiber, right? So like there's certain ways that like I totally get it and I totally understand exactly what you're saying and where you're coming mm-hmm. from with it. But I also wonder if it is something that can easily be in left up, when left up to interpretation, you could actually make a decent clinical case for it and be like, yeah, I see the other side too. You know what I mean? Like that, that how often does that happen or how often do you find yourself? Like, have you ever been in that kind of situation? No, 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 definitely not. And honestly, in my career, net carbs, 
hasn't really been. Yeah, that makes me happy. That makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I think what what I like, you know, you want it to be easy for the customer to understand. So if we're going for, if they know net carbs is a high fiber, you know, low junky carb products, you know, obviously be aware of sugar alcohols things like that they usually come along not with gonna, that. Not going to be on the, on the gut health. No, no be aware of that. You might, have a, I might be, you might have a problem. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a pretty, it doesn't bother me. I don't know. It yeah. doesn't bother me as much. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about is a very specific population, you know, yeah. with and, and, and the amount that you're, you know, determining carbs. Um, and I, I don't know. It doesn't bother me as much. Okay. Now. That makes me feel better. That makes me feel better. I've been like needling on that one for a while. All right. So just to switch gears a little bit, tell us what do you think, given your given your role and given the fact that it spans multiple different departments in a certain way, even though you your role sits under legal, mm-hmm. right? Um, what do you think is the most surprising thing that a dietitian, the dietitians who are working in clinical now listening to this, like what would be surprising or what would be curious to know about your job? Like what's the most interesting thing? What's the most surprising thing? You're not getting trained for it in school. What? You're not getting trained for it in school. (laughs) We kind of talked about this the other day. Like I I think that's, it's a miss on um, like the curriculums, whoever is developing the schools, developing the curriculums. Um, I feel like, um, listen, if you want to work truly in clinical, God bless. That's amazing. And I have such admiration for those that do that. Um, I I do think, and I've always felt this way, like nutrition is uh, a career that you can truly take in whatever direction you want and definitely get approached by, you know, young, mostly women, um, you know, coming up through school or, you know, applying to programs and how did you get into this? And I don't have a nice clean answer. I kind of just yeah. start them in. I don't know. <laughs> I just, right. I mean, I, I, I come from a marketing background, right? I, that was my first job was in advertising and I've always loved the marketing creative side of things. Um, and I knew that after my internship, my dietetic internship, that the clinical setting was not, was not mm-hmm. where I ultimately wanted to be. Um, and I, you know, I just, and I grew up going to the hospital all the time. My dad's an oral surgeon. I would go with him and I, and I, I loved it. It just, it wasn't, I missed the business piece of it. I missed that creative piece of it. Um, and you know, I got a little discouraged from being honest, working with patients in the hospital because, you know, I, you know, I would unload all these changes and ideas and then they were at the, you know, getting right. So I didn't really (laughs) feel like I was making an impact. Um, but I, you know, I understand more about that now, but I think that what's surprising, you know, dietitians in business, you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity that you can really flush out in so many different ways. And I would say that don't accept no, right? Like go for the job, go for the bigger job, figure it out. That's what, you know, I've done and have been all right. (laughs) I've survived. Um, You could figure it out and, you know, you talk about being cross-functional, stick your hands in as many pots as possible. Like mm-hmm. even if you're not invited, just, you know, I, when we were in the office, I would walk around all the time and be like, what you working on? What you working on? You know, because yeah. a lot of times I feel like the different departments, they don't even think to consult. A thousand percent. Oh my God. Make yourself available. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? I do that all the time. Um, yeah. and, and it's helping me too, right? Because right. The sooner I'm brought into something, I'm ultimately going to get brought into it in the legal review anyway. We're all set up for better success in that sense. And I started doing it actually at at Coke and then did it all through my years at Kind. And we just did um, our second one at Blue Apron um, to do a nutrition and claims training. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, to understand the why behind the no, right? Usually it's a no, but no, but. Yes. No, no, but I always try to come with like a solution. I don't know. I used to hate my dad used to say to me, the answer is no. Yeah, no, we like a no, but, or I guess, and we're not really here for the hard no. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't do this this way, but you can do this this way. And this is why. Yeah. If I I found, if you give people the understanding behind it, the rationale behind it, and then you're creating a two-way street. 
right? And then maybe next time they'll come to you instead of you having to stock it, you know, they'll come to you for the, for the consult. What, what, so given your role now in this, you don't, you don't have to answer this about your current role. This can be about at any point, right? Are there certain themes that have come up where you're like, I'm always being asked to make a claim about blank. And I'll give you like, I'll give you a good example, like from my Weight Watchers days, that's like the perfect example of things that really, um, is one of those where we had clinical research to essentially back up what it was. And I still felt like I'm not comfortable with this. And it was weight loss is easy. (laughs) It's not true. Exactly. But like the claim, the claim came from clinical trial in which the participants had said, like they had answered yes to a questionnaire that was in a, a pretty decent majority of the participants were like, this is easier than any other weight loss program. Now, you could make the the kind of scientific argument that that's not necessarily saying it's easy, right? But that was one of those that people wanted to say a lot that was like, this weight loss program is the easiest that, right? Which actually would have been totally legit. But I felt like nothing about weight loss is fucking easy. <laughs> They're not for anyone, right? Like it's, there's so many hard things and change is the hardest part. So yeah. change of any type, you're changing. Like, I felt like that's a very uncomfortable thing that is like the type of thing that you can, that you can use as a finding from yeah. scientific data. But like in reality and in marketing reality, like I get why the people in that room at that moment in time wanted that to be the thing. We're the easiest, right? right. Like that this right. was like the thing that you would grab onto. But actually, if you've ever tried to lose weight, then you would know that, that nothing about it's easy. So you're talking about almost like a testimonial type of claim, right? Not like a fact-based yes. claim. So I'm more on the facts based. When I when right. there's a quote of a of a you know a testimonial, like again, I can tie it back to either they said that or they didn't. There's interpretation right. sometimes, and I can definitely recall having discussions over interpretation. Um, but I think my challenges are more around and through my, out my career have been around, you know, I can point to the regulation. I can tell you why sometimes it seems like there might be some gray space and there's a risk that happens, right? Um, this might be a little bit, I'll give you a basic example. The label format might be slightly off the sizing. Yeah. What's the risk? It's not, you know, sure. There's a risk. And if, FDA is never going to pick you up because, you know, you have like a, a point two point smaller than you're supposed to be, <laughs> but they're going to get you for something else. And then they're yeah, going to yes. list a hundred other things that you have to change. Yeah. And now go change them. That's such a good point. That's labels. such a good point. Yeah. Right. So you don't want to get caught for like the bigger yeah. things. You're going to have to change everything and fast. And, and, you know, obviously you lose money with the labels. Like if you have right. to dump labels, um, so I think my challenge has been around um, pointing to the regulation and having to pass my own red face test where they're like, mm-hmm. you know, the team would be like, well, what is really the risk here? Because they're not understanding perhaps they're, you know, you can't help but to put your own influence, your own um, right. interpretation on it, right? Like, I really don't think that's a big deal. Okay, but you're not <laughs> in a litigator's position, right? You're not, you're not a plaintiff's right. attorney. You're not right. like good right. for you. Go to law school, then tell me if it's a risk. Yeah. And, and that's actually something that I have been working on for a while because I obviously have my own opinions of things, but my own yeah. opinion is not risk analysis. This is, this is the last thing that I would want to ask you on the topic of compliance and regulatory and your day job, essentially, is what do you think, like, how do you feel like what, you do and what what the role of regulatory does how do you feel like that affects consumers in their everyday lives and you can answer that however you want because i know it's a kind of broad question but so okay i'm going to repeat back your question is how is the dietitian hat on or no here for this answer it can be both can be so how does how does my role in nutrition regulatory how does that input impact what goes in front of the customer yeah yes it's either it, it, it helps ensure, obviously, that it is truthful and not yeah. misleading. Um, you know, it definitely conveys the attributes of the product, positive absence of, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, 
it gets the important information in front of somebody, especially from like a nutrition perspective, yeah. from allergen and ingredient, if there are other sensitivities, right? Making sure the work I do now at Blue Apron, making sure that the allergen profile that's on the final nutrition publication is reflective of what's in the box and what's, you know, um, what consumers have in their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say, you know, the nutritional elements of it too, like the, the nutritional components of the recipe um, and, and highlighting different features of the recipe. Um, I, I would like to, and have done a little bit here at Blue Apron, but I've done more in the past to continue to develop nutrition content. Cause I think yeah. that coming from a registered dietitian, you know, gives credentials obviously, and, you know, have a place in the conversation, um, with the customer more directly. Um, that's something that continue to work on and I'm, I'm happy of the progress that we've made so far. Um, and then I think also, you know, getting it's hard because obviously cost is a factor and healthful ingredients tend to be higher in cost, but getting those into our pantry at Blue Apron or in the past, you know, pushing for, um, different product nutrient profiles for other products that we're, you know, identifying needs for different types of customers. Um, And I also think that I've been able to pull together in a more collaborative way, different um, groups within the organization Mm -hmm. where, you know, in the past, you know, people work so in, in silos and especially, especially working remotely, you know, you you really, you are, you're in your own home, your own silo. So it's, you know, you're less interactive. Um, and it's true. Um, you know, the, we started going back to the office a couple months ago, a couple of days a week. And while it's hard, you know, it's a change of pace again. It's great. It is great to be around other people and to really have like overhearing conversations. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, you know, and just getting involved and, and, and making sure that everything is, you know, more cohesive. Um, at the end of the day. So I think um, there's a a huge opportunity um, to make sure that to collaborate with the creative and the marketing teams and really make sure that what is delivered on a product delivers obviously efficacy, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't don't just talk about a nutrient because there's a sprinkling of whole wheat flour in it, right? If there's, make sure there's something that's going to have a positive impact on the person, that's part of the truthful and not misleading. Um, but to really to to make an impact, and it is an interesting way to reach customers. You know, for sure. Well, you don't have to tell me twice. All right. So first, tell us before I ask you our final question: Where should people find you on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram? Where can people get in touch with you to learn more? I'm limited about here. I feel I feel inferior. I'm limited here. Um. Well, on LinkedIn, Heather Sachs, MSRD. Okay. Um, and my fun, uh, Instagram is the board wife at the board that wife, because I have a very unboring life. Um, I have a, an eight-year-old son. I have two stepkids and a wonderful husband, and it keeps me very not bored. Um, and I love to make platters with lots and lots of vegetables. And, um, so that's how we came up with the board. I love it so much. I love it so much, but I also just feel like we're about to have like boards are about to have the moment that they were having it. They're having it. They're having it. They've been having it for a while, but they're coming. They're making, I've been doing that for so long. I mean, it's something that my mom taught me how to do. And truthfully, you know, student became the master in that. And I just love it. And you know what? I will say this. Um, I made a huge veggie board for my son's birthday a couple of weeks ago and the parents stayed. And I have to tell you, every single person that was there, they, obviously they're complimenting the how pretty it is, but thank you for having like such beautiful fresh food. I swear to you, I'm not even making it up. So I had had a conversation with somebody else and so I said, you know what, be the one that brings the vegetables because you know what, people are going to be thankful for it just to break it up. You know, my husband makes the ribs, I'll make the vegetables. That is a takeaway I love. Be the one that makes the vegetables, people. That's it. Do it. All right. Our last question that you're going to leave our listeners with is what is the most annoying, most grating to you thing that you have seen in wellness, in the wellness space in 2023 so far? It's the fear mongering. Yes. That's what gets me. Like Killer. Killer. You know, I think in a 1.0 version of this, when we ended, 
we think we we said we got cut off we're talking about water and saw something recently going around about like you know the drops that people put in water don't drink that don't just be quiet let them drink water just drink water (laughs) no but drink water with the drops that's what makes it palatable to you just drink it because if you send a message like that right and don't like plain water guess what now they have nothing exactly so small changes yeah you're never going to get somebody to go from if they're drinking a cola to drinking water right you know be the bridge that's how we used to talk about vitamin water be the bridge and it's still you know there's steps further down like you can kind of titrate get used to it you know and then eventually do the drops or squeeze some fruit in your water or something like that you know have it floating mm-hmm. in water but don't I, I don't like there's the fear mongering and there's the um assassination on the on the changes that people are making support the changes any any change is a good change in the right direction and so you know people are very high and mighty from behind a camera to criticize you know what works for someone you never know what someone else's you know someone else's shoes so support the change people support the support the change heather thank you thank you Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.